What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Imran Muller. You are most welcome, sir. Thank you for having me back. Delighted to be here. For those who don't know, Imran is a specialist on Britain's policies towards Muslims domestically, and he has done work assisting award-winning journalist Peter O'Born on research for his forthcoming book entitled The Fate of Abraham, Why the West is Wrong About Islam, due to be published in, I think it's May this year. Yeah. Um, Imran has also studied the French attitude to its Muslim population and is particularly interested in France as a comparison to Britain, something I find particularly interesting as well. He's a student of history at Cambridge University and has written for publications, including Traversing Tradition, Athwat and Conservative Home. And you can follow him on Twitter at Osmani268. That's O-S-M-A-N-I-268. The 2022 presidential election will be held on the 16th of April in just a few weeks now. And Imran has kindly agreed to give us uh, an update on what is going on. So could you give us uh, an overview of the candidates in the election and their positions on Islam, as well as how the polling is looking? So the French election is in two rounds. The first round of voting begins on the 10th of April. And then as long as no candidate wins a majority in that, which is unlikely to happen, the top two candidates will fight it out and voting will happen again two weeks later. And then the president will be decided. So Emmanuel Macron, the current president, is running for re-election. He's firmly leading in the polls at about 30 percent, so well ahead of his rival. He enjoys an unusually high approval rating nationwide, and he's been helped by Russia's invasion of Ukraine because he's been perceived as a responsible leader and a statesman. Now, his attitude towards Muslims, I'm sure we can talk about later in terms of what the government is actually doing. Uh, but he faces some serious contenders. So there's Marine Le Pen of the National Rally. Now, she's the traditional far-right candidate. She faced Macron in 2017. She's proposed a general hijab ban in public, and she's called for a referendum on restricting immigration. In power, she would criminalise Islam to a greater degree than even the current government has done. She's second place in the polls. So as things stand, she's currently the most likely to face Macron in the final vote, although things could change dramatically in the next few weeks, of course. Uh, but Marine Le Pen faces a massive problem. The far-right vote has been split. She's no longer the far-right candidate because of Eric Zemmour, the pundit-turned-wannabe politician. Eric Zemmour has more than any other candidate shaped the election's discourse, which makes him really important, uh, though thankfully he's looking unlikely to win the election. But his ideas are shaping French politics, so it's important that we look at them. 
Yes. Zemmour yes. wants to stop immigration. Uh, he demands that Muslims assimilate fully, so they have to shed their Muslimness in order to fit in, and they shouldn't even give their children Arabic names, he says. He's publicly stated that there's no difference between Islamism and Islam, and that Islam is incompatible with French civilization. His party is also called Reconquest, which of course evokes the Spanish reconquest of Muslim-ruled Andalusia. Now, the combined far-right vote of Zemmour and Le Pen would easily see Macron destroyed, which is why it's disastrous for Le Pen that Zemmour is running and splitting that vote. She's so, 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 Imran, if I could just stop you there, sorry to interrupt, uh, what, it, that you talk about the combined vote, if it were combined, so what percentage of a French electorate would that be if, theoretically speaking, they were to combine? It would be about 30% as things are looking. And Macron is polling in the region of 30%. So then it would be a really genuinely close race between Le Pen and Macron. Uh, and then, of course, there is the other right-wing vote, which I'll, I'll talk about. So it would be easy for Le Pen uh, to emerge as the clear contender and to easily actually defeat Macron because of the way things are going. But because of Zemmour, things are disastrous for Le Pen because he's splitting that far-right vote. And Zemmour's done... He, he's outdone her opposition to Islam. He's outflanked her on the far right. So she's lost much of her old far right vote to Eric Zemmour. Meanwhile, she's struggling to gain the moderate right wing vote, which is largely going towards Valérie Pécresse, who's the candidate for the Republicans, which is a centre right party. Now, Pécresse has embraced an anti-Islamic, anti-immigration agenda, but she is failing to win significant support. She was initially seen as a main contender to Macron. And I think that's how it looked uh, last time I was on uh, this channel, but no more. Le Pen, as in 2017, has emerged as the main rival. But the problem for her is that both Valérie Pécresse and Eric Zemmour are making it difficult for her to amass enough support to crush Macron. And finally, I uh, have to mention, we have the left-wing candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon of the France Unbound France Unbowed Party, sorry. In 2017, he got nearly 20% of the vote, which is significant. But now it's a sign of just how badly the left is doing in France that he's not doing that well. He's polling around the same as Zemmour, around uh, 12% currently, marginally higher than Pécresse, who seems to be around at 11% uh, today. So he's a significant player, and he is actually admirably bringing some opposition to Islamophobia into the political scene. So he says, secularism does not mean to hate a religion, and he's claimed that in France there is hatred of Muslims disguised as secularism. He's trying to perform a delicate uh, and I think doomed balancing act where he's a secular at heart and comfortable with laïcité, France's form of secularism, but he's at the same time opposing the demonization of Muslims and immigrants, and there's no chance of him winning. Uh, but I think it is good that he's on the political scene to challenge the hatred propagated by the other candidates. But this is an election of the right. The combined right-wing votes, which are all all virulently anti-Islamic, uh, add up to around 45%, which is very significant. Wow, that's, ex that's extraordinary. I, I mean, could you tell me a bit more about this, uh, Eric Zemmour? I, I find it ironic, I look at it as an outsider here, although I spend time in France, I still feel like I'm an outsider to all of this. Um, you know, he, he ancestrally, he uh, comes from a Jewish, Algerian, I think, background. And uh, as was said um, uh, recently by a prominent American Jewish historian, 
um, Islam Saved Jewry. That's the title of his lecture at SOAS here in London University. Um, and yet there's no sense that uh, the Jewish people under uh, in Muslim rule, mainly the Ottoman Empire, thrived and did very, very well. They prospered religiously, economically, socially, in terms of their social standing. And yet he, he is now positioning himself, it seems, over against Islam, uh, e even though ancestrally his people uh, benefited from Islamic rule, historically anyway. Well, Zamur... Um doesn't really see Ottoman history as important. Uh, he's interested in French colonial history, which is he right. sees as uh, being positive. So the French project to assimilate Muslims, he sees that as having been good. He presents himself as a successfully assimilated um, descendant of migrants. So he says, look, uh, I'm the son of Algerian Jewish immigrants. I've assimilated into French civilization and culture, uh, why can't Muslims also assimilate and fit in in the same way? Uh, and, and that's his argument. So he's, he's a figure that gets away with saying a lot of things that he wouldn't necessarily be able to if he's white French, uh, if he was white French, because he positions himself as a kind of, you know, an insider. I'm one of the, the migrant community. I've shown how it should be done. And now I'm saying no more. Um, France needs to take a stand. Extraordinary. Now, France justifies its anti-Muslim policies using uh, a universalist argument. And could you help us to understand the French secularist perspective, perhaps on its own terms, before uh, perhaps critiquing it, uh, if you if you go on then to think that it's a bad thing? Yeah, so um, a lot of French policy towards Islam, as you say, is motivated by universalism, which is this uh, enlightenment idea. And I do think it's important that Muslims actually understand this perspective rather than just condemning laicite as bad. Of course, it seems bad to us because it's violating uh, Islamic religious liberty. But how do the proponents of laicite see it? Well, the French conception of the nation holds that defining yourself by an ethnic or a religious identity group is a threat to the unity of the nation. So universalism is an idea of citizenship, enlightened citizenship, post-French revolution citizenship, which everyone has to sign up to if they want to be French. So the idea is everyone is equal before the law, I mean, in theory, but this means if everyone's equal before the law, they have to be uniform too. So uh, they can't be pockets of uh, ethnic or religious difference that are sort of formal. This is why the French government doesn't collect census data on mm. ethnicity or religion, because it would be seen as an anti-universalist move. So that means Muslims, like others, have to assimilate, meaning they have to shed their difference in order to fit in. And because French secularism is so geared towards the subjugation of religion, the type of visible difference that causes unrivaled outrage is religious difference. Um, and the French writer uh, Mark Wietzman says that France's assimilationist culture is about the fact that, you know, while uh, Americans, he uses this example, publicize who they are, the French way is to show what you are instead of who you are through manners. So he says it's all about conforming to a certain environment, uh, which is the same as assimilation. And this is the argument that Eric Zemmour makes, but it's also the argument 
argument that the current French government is making. Now, a common idea is that France should have a fixed and settled idea of itself, but that this is being threatened by a growing Muslim population. And, you know, Marine Le Pen says that if she became president, France would re-become itself. So Muslims as Muslims are not seen as a legitimate part of the French story. They can only be a proper part of the French civilizational story if they shed their Muslimness, which is making them so distinctive. God. Okay, that sounds really quite severe from the British perspective uh, an American perspective, probably sounds very severe. Um, can you talk about how France's uh, alleged war on Islam started in the colonies with a legal assault on the Sharia? Yeah, so central to what's happening today is the French colonial urge to make Muslims French, to civilize them and to save them from Islam. So the liberal idea of progress uh, was behind this originally. The argument believed at the time by French intellectuals was that all of history represents a linear march of progress and nations like post-revolution France are further along that path towards secular liberal enlightenment. So France was allowed to dominate the backwards uncivilized Muslims who haven't had this progress to try and bring them along the path to try and assimilate them into Frenchness and progressive civilization. So the story of French colonialism in Algeria was a story of an assault on Islam. So as you say, as the French colonialists massacred hundreds of thousands of Muslims, the Waqf institutions, so the, the charitable endowments which made up a significant amount of Algeria's property and which were really the lifeblood of Islamic civilization everywhere, were all confiscated by the French state. The Sharia, Islamic law, was comprehensively undermined and attacked. So in Algeria, by 1844, all property law was replaced by French law. French penal law came into force in 1859. And from, I think, 1873, all Algerian land was regulated by French law. So this meant that the Sharia was essentially replaced. The French also tried to implement their own civil law to civilize the Muslims. Uh, while the Sharia had always taken local uniqueness and variety, into account. The French said all subjects are indistinguishable before the law. And they said this was about egalité, equality. But what it really meant is everyone has to be indistinguishable. Uh, so that's that idea of assimilation and universalism. Now, the French treatment of Islam was so zealous and uncompromising that when Napoleon III offered Algerian Muslims a pathway to French citizenship in 1856, they were required to renounce their Muslim personal status in family law as a kind of final humiliation in order to become properly French. And all this provides important context, I think, when we consider France's crackdown on its domestic Muslim population today, because the colonial project, in a way, is ongoing. Yes, the colonial project, in a way, is ongoing. I like that, that, that because uh, France is no longer officially committed to colonising anywhere with uh, physically taking over countries and assimilating them into the French Republic. No, that, that of course, is the past, and they, they're not into that. But ideologically, it seems, from what you're saying, it's business as usual. Uh, it's the, the insistence uh, that Muslims um, uh, abide by, uh, you know, lose their uniqueness, their identity and assimilate into this uh, indistinguishable mass of people who are 
the same before the law. So it, se- it seems as if this project continues, although perhaps in a slightly different guise. Would that be pretty much fair enough? Yes, exactly. So um, should I talk about uh, some of the most recent policies towards Muslims? Then? Absolutely, please. Yeah, so uh, this colonial project has been uh, continued, I think, through the so-called systematic obstruction policy introduced by Macron's government. This gives the government a lot of powers in monitoring and closing institutions and seizing money on the grounds that this will fight what they call Islamist separatism and protect Republican values. So under this policy, Muslim businesses and organizations have been blacklisted. Muslim institutions can also be subjected to controls. Now, controls are inspections that can easily lead to crackdowns on Muslim institutions on grounds like minor health and safety concerns. So um, what does a control look like? Well, let's take an example of one Islamic private school in Paris. Police officers stormed in and raided the school armed with weapons in the middle of a school day while there were children in class. Another example was in the south of France. There was a Muslim butcher. He was harassed by authorities and subject to controls regarding hygiene in his store. Now, you might think, okay, health and safety, that's fine. But he was forced to display a poster in his shop, which was created to promote the 2010 ban on the face veil, essentially to display his loyalty. Now, nearly 25,000 of these controls have been carried out. Meanwhile, 718 Muslim organizations have been closed down by the government. 46 million euros have been seized. So essentially what's happening is an attack on Muslim civil society uh, and an assault on any uh, Muslim autonomy. So it's sort of taking it to the next level. In Algeria, there was an attack on the Sharia. Now with French Muslim citizens, they're not allowed any distinctiveness and any autonomy. Uh, The anti-separatism bill also ramps this up. So that in recent years, uh, uh, well, actually the anti-separatism bill was introduced just last year, 2021, and that extended the ban on wearing religious symbols from the civil service, which it was initially, to now anyone working in public service. That includes healthcare workers and cleaners. So this is the criminalization of Muslim women wearing the headscarf in those jobs. And so, so, just, to, just, to, sorry, just to pick up on that, you're saying, uh, I, I don't mean to pick on cleaners, but you're saying even Muslim cleaners, presumably working in hospitals or schools or wherever, can't wear a hijab now. Even they, no one can. Correct. Right. And this is to say, so if, there, if, the if there are Muslim women who are currently wearing the headscarf, uh, in those jobs, they found themselves criminalised by mm. that. Mm. Oh, that's uh, quite quite extraordinary. Um, what about the the, this, this, the Muslim civic society in, in France? And there, there are many mul- millions of Muslims in France. Obviously, that there are associations, there there are uh, organisations representing Muslims' interests. There are Muslim intellectuals and public figures. How how are they negotiating this, and how have they responded to this onslaught? Well, it's very difficult because all um, Muslim, you know, all mosques have been required to sign this so-called charter of principles uh, in which they, you know, pledge allegiance to the Republic and say we put Republican values over Islam, we won't take uh, positions on religious issues, that kind of thing. So they've essentially had to declare themselves depoliticized. Meanwhile, the organization which was monitoring Islamophobia in France, the CCIF 
it was called, has been shut down uh, by the government. Another significant Muslim charity, Baraka City, was also shut down. So the government is making it really hard for Muslim civil society by essentially placing extraordinary pressure on Muslim organizations to toe the line, accept the new measures, or to face, you know, severe uh, inspections, uh, suspensions, and closures. Uh, and even, even sort of greater than that, that, there's a new monitoring of homeschooling, uh, new measures, this was part of the 2021 bill, new measures to allow the government to suspend and close Islamic private schools uh, for all sorts of reasons. So it's a full-fledged assault on Muslim uh, civil liberties, really. All this, I think it, it amounts to actually a campaign of persecution against Muslims in France. And French secularism, laïcité, it can't be described as just, you know, keeping religion out of the public sphere. That's often what we think when we talk about laïcité. We say they want to keep religion out of the public sphere. It's not really that. It's the wholesale subjugation of religion because it means the government deciding what acceptable religion is and what it isn't. So there is no religious liberty in France. There's actually, it reminds me of... Um, a great quote by the legal scholar Wail Halak, where he says, in terms of political theology, uh, secularism is the murder of God by the state. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I, actually, is- I actually quoted that on a tweet uh, a few days ago, actually. I thought oh, it was right. Yeah. He says, in terms of political theology, yes, secularism is the murder of God by the state. Yes, I, I, I'm reading one of his books at the moment, an extraordinary man. Um, it's a naive question, but it's made, I'm asking this to make a point. There has, of course, been a public reaction from the European Union to defend Muslims' rights, hasn't there? Strasbourg, Berlin, all the other European nations in the European Union have spoken out publicly, challenging, criticising these measures, hasn't there? Haven't they done Well, Well, in fact, uh, it's been basically the opposite because France uh, France is so influential um, in the EU that France is sort of setting the agenda. Meanwhile, these other countries have their own uh, awful uh, policies towards Muslims. It's, n- it's not quite as uh, heated in any other country in Western Europe uh, as it is in France. But, you know, Denmark has awful anti-Muslim legislation. There was a video uh, which went viral about a week ago oh, of yeah, um, a teacher harassing very these. Very, very, it's yeah. actually a very distressing video. Uh, it's not trivial. It's, it's a very ugly, ugly video. And, that, that, you know, there have been, with that, there have been uh, documented reports of um, Muslim children being taken away from Muslim families in Denmark and essentially uh, indoctrinated and taught to be secular citizens so that when their families see them again, they barely recognize them. And these children have been trained to completely reject their families' uh, Islamic ideas. So actually from the EU, you don't see any significant pushback against France. I think there was, a, there was an incident recently, actually, where the EU on, on some of their, you know, I think it was a poster or a document, they had a photo of a Muslim woman uh, in a headscarf and, and they were trying to sort of illustrate diversity and inclusion. And oh, France yeah. objected to that because yeah. it is considered so offensive. Meanwhile, yeah. uh, there's, you know, pa- I think Pakistan was behind the attempt to introduce an international um, data to combat Islamophobia, uh, who opposed that move? 
France opposed that move alongside, of course, India did as well. well I wonder why. I wonder why India would oppose it. Um, I, just to get a bit of historical depth to this, because uh, although I, I accept what you're saying, um, it's not. There's a bigger picture here, and that is historically post 1789, the year of the beginning of the French Revolution. Uh, the French state has attacked Catholicism, its, its, its own homegrown faith, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. And um, it, quite viciously, uh, the, the Republicans uh, were responsible for the killing of thousands of nuns and monks and priests and other Catholics who resisted the secularist regime. So th this is not um, France in its anti-religious mode doing something new. This is what it's always done, at least since 1789. It's just Muslims are, uh, are also the target. But the Catholic Church, the, the France used to be called the, elder, the eldest daughter of the church. In other words, it was the most senior country, uh, the elder daughter of the church itself, until, of course, it turned, uh, the, the state turned on the church and tried to strangle it to death, li quite literally at times. So uh, it's not just Muslims, but M Muslims, uh, Islam has certainly have become the contemporary uh, hate figure and uh, to privatize and uh, take away any distinguishing religious characteristics, of the religion to hollow it out, to make it what, in fact, the church has become in France is completely emptied of any kind of religious backbone, I, I would think. Although the religion still exists. I mean, there's a church in my village which still functions. Admittedly, it's on its last legs. Few people go to it. And that's typical in France. But nevertheless, it does allow it is allowed to exist, even though it can't really do much. Yeah, I, I completely agree with all this. Um, and I'd actually bring up the comparison to the treatment of uh, French Jews, uh, you know, French uh, anti-Semitism, Republican anti-Semitism actually is a is a big part of the story of laïcité. So at, shortly after the French Revolution, um, all the French Jewish notables were uh, summoned by Napoleon. And he said, well, you can keep your uh, you, you can be French citizens, but yeah. you have to renounce the Mosaic law, which is sort of... Um, like now, this Jewish. is true. Yeah, it just was exactly... This is a precursor of exactly what's happening to the Muslims. And this, is, this was centuries ago. So yeah, you yeah. Know, the writing's been on the wall uh, forever and is not new. Uh, you mentioned anti-Semitism, the particularly ugly t time in the 1940s uh, in France, when the French state actively... Uh, facilitated the, deport the deporting of French Jews from France to the concentration camps uh, uh, to uh, help the Nazis in their ongoing uh, extermination of the Jews. And this is something that is not spoken about publicly in France, although it's well known on the historical record, it happened, but the French collaboration with uh, anti-Semitic Nazis to exterminate the Jews is well documented and was carried out by the French state in the 1940s. So again, so we've got Catholics, we've got Jews who were told to give up their religion, basically, to be good French people. Muslims are told to give up their religion to be good French people. There's a pattern that seems to be going on and that has occurred for centuries, at least since 1789 anyway. Yeah, and, and I, I would actually just add to that very good point about the 1940s that Eric Samur has stoked controversy by defending the Vichy regime, the collaborationist uh, French regime, which collaborated with the Nazis. And he yeah. said, well, he's defended them on the ground that they they protected French 
Jews who were French citizens and just deported the immigrant ones who weren't French citizens. So he sort of made a nationalist argument there. And, and this is an ex extraordinary argument to make about uh, a regime that really collaborated with the Nazis and had a part to play in the Holocaust. Yeah, uh, the, the French state had a part to play in the Holocaust, to, to, to summarise uh, the point. And, and that, as I say, is not something that I'm aware of, it's, uh, is really discussed uh, in, or even aware in the French consciousness. It's something the, nast the nasty Germans did, but, but the French actually were, were involved in the Holocaust. The French state itself uh, helped to exterminate the Jews that, who lived in France. Uh, it's a matter of historical record, this. Now, there's something else, of course, is the narrative of the Great Replacement um, uh, perhaps understood a replacement of the French by Muslim immigrants. Uh, and that's increasingly used today, I think, by uh, some say by Macron. Um, how is he playing into this uh, and how is the French left opposing it? Well, so the great replacement um, is, I think, the single most important talking point of this French election, which is extraordinary because a few years ago it was on the fringe uh, of political discourse. It was invented by Renaud Camus, uh, a Frenchman who was essentially an obscure kind of esoteric fascist figure with a kind of weird aesthetic fascist ideology. Um, you know, he saw, uh, he was walking by a nice French castle and he saw Muslim women next to it and he thought that doesn't look right. It affects my sensibilities and from this he came up with the idea of the great replacement which is that uh, the native population are being replaced and essentially destroyed uh, by uh, Muslim non-white immigrants and this has actually been uh, you know it's it's become a talking point um, for the far right the anti-muslim far right across uh, the West really with talk of white genocide, what they're really referring to is this idea of the great replacement. So how strange and how worrying that it's become mainstream now. 67% of the French population polls show are concerned about a great replacement. And 61% of French people say they believe it could occur. Zemmour openly discusses it. He's saying, uh, you know, we will not be replaced. I want to stop the great replacement. Valérie Pécresse, who's supposed to be the moderate right-wing candidate, she herself used the phrase great replacement, which caused a lot of shock because she was trying to win some of Zemmour's supporters. So in order to seem hardline on the Muslims uh, and on immigrants, she brought up this phrase as well. Now, as you mentioned, um, uh, Macron uh, supposedly uses the term in private. So a very really? uh, distinguished oh. French political journalist, Mark Enderweld, has reported claims by people who have worked with President Macron saying that um, with his aides, he uses the term great replacement and he's obsessed with the idea, supposedly. Eric Zemmour actually claims that when he met with Macron to talk to him, Macron was convinced by a lot of his arguments, but simply said that I won't use your sort of rhetoric because it would lead to a civil war. So as you can see, these uh, rather sinister anti-Muslim ideas uh, are becoming increasingly hegemonic in France. Now, the left is pushing back against the idea. So Jean-Luc uh, Mélenchon, the uh, leftist candidate, is, is pushing back against the idea that France is being destroyed by immigration. He points to the idea of 
creolization, which is, it means the intermingling of cultures. So he says, France has never been one thing and today it's changing. Yes, there is immigration. It's not that dramatic. And actually everywhere where societies bring cultures together, they become creolized. So rather than France being destroyed and the French people being replaced, um, there is a kind of organic evolution going on. This, of course, is extraordinarily uh, offensive to people like Eric Zemmour. It's interesting because in the area of France that I live in, southwest uh, France, um, uh, uh, there is pretty homogenous culturally uh, and ethnically, actually. There's no... uh, there's certainly no great replacement going on there uh, whatsoever. It's just not not visible uh, at all. So the, the left, you say, are opposing it a little bit, but are, are there no political uh, Islamic organisations organising politically in France? I know you mentioned some of them have been attacked uh, by the authorities, but is there no political organisation by Muslims? I mean, there are how many millions of Muslims in France? Four, five, six million Muslims? Um, I don't, well, I it's, about ten, it's about 10%. 10, of the 10, right. So I don't understand why there isn't a political voice that is, um, and I know that it's a very hostile environment, of course, but is there nothing at all, really, no pushback from the Muslim side against this hegemonic narrative that is basically dominating everything? There are lots of French Muslims that are pushing back against it, arguing zealously. Um, in fact, Yasser Louati. Uh, jumps to mind. He is a French Muslim um, advocate against Islamophobia uh, and for Muslim rights. And he's, you know, consistently, tirelessly vocal. I mean, you can find lots of these um, these people there. They're challenging Eric yeah. Zemmour yeah. protests. You know, Eric Zemmour, where, when he goes to cities which have uh, Muslim populations, significant Muslim populations, he always faces uh, massive protests because uh, the Muslims there are advocating for their rights. The problem is there is a real challenge of political representation because laicite is so hegemonic that if someone comes into the public sphere, I mean, French Muslims find themselves in a predicament where if they want to argue for their rights, they have to say, no, it's wrong what Zemmour is saying. There is no necessary clash between Islam and laicite. That's how they have to argue. They can't come and say, well, actually, we don't like laicite, because then they're just called anti-Republican. Yeah, they're they're one hand um, tied behind... Uh, their own backs. But the irony is on the right, people are, I know that Le Pen has uh, supporters who self-identify as monarchists, uh, people who want to see um, the French Republic return to a a monarchy. And of course, after 1789, there were periods of French history when the monarchy was restored under the Bourbon um, dynasty, for example. And there are many people who support Le Pen and others who want that. But, But they're not seen, it would seem, uh, to be somehow anti-French, even though they are directly arguing for a system that overthrows the French Republic by definition, they want a monarchy. But when French people, sorry, when French Muslims um, argue for that from a Muslim perspective, obviously that they're seen as, as subversive and, and illegitimate and invalid in their criticism. So it's, it's slightly discriminatory. Well, the, those right-wing monarchists are seen as a, a curiosity more than anything, something quite uh, amusing, really. There's no sense that they're a, a threat to the Republic. No. And, you know, even they, they've enjoyed no success because, like, Le Pen herself has... So her party, uh, you know, under her father, Jean 
uh, Marie Le Pen, um, he was uh, a critic of certain elements of laicite. So he was a defender of Catholicism. And he said, we mustn't have too much of this secularism that's, uh, you know, targeting Catholicism. And so that's traditionally been the far right uh, mm -hmm. Le Pen approach. But in recent years, Marine Le Pen has had to really catch up with the current zeitgeist, which is so pro laicite. And now she's really brandishing her secularist, militantly secularist credentials. There is no real sense from her that we want to defend a kind of Catholic civilization. It's all about attacking religious influence in the Republican tradition by attacking Islam. Now, it's Eric Zemmour, actually, um, who has this kind of bizarre attempt to meld a kind of uh, Republican rhetoric with a sort of... Um, valorization of Christianity. So uh, Eric Zemmour says um, he, he was debating uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon um, live on TV and they were arguing about what French civilization means mm. in the context of an argument about Islam. So Zemmour said, I want to keep French civilization French. And uh, Mélenchon asked, what is French civilization? And Zemmour replied, he said, a language, an art of living. France does not start in 1789. France has a thousand years of history. So Mélenchon said, well, mm, this isn't really true because French civilization comes from the intermingling of the Gauls and the Celts and the Latin Romans. And he said, France is a permanent invention, which is renewed with each generation. Uh, we might note here that until the modern period, most people in France didn't speak French. They spoke local languages and dialects. And a process of coercive uh, centralization was required in order to make French the language spoken across the country. This, this, so, I just want to pause on that point, uh, which may come as a complete surprise and shock to those uh, people who don't know this. What's the language of France? French? Well, no, it wasn't until recently. Well, OK, until the 19th century, uh, when it, exactly as you say, that there were a patchwork of regional um, languages. In, in my region, Occitan was uh, the language. And still in many villages, you'll see Occitan, uh, the, the street name in Occitan, and in French, under, underneath it, by the way, Occitan seems to go on top, uh, which is a very different language from French. It's perhaps maybe more in common with Celtic languages. I, I'm not sure. I don't speak Occitanic. But you're right. The, 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 your average rural pe peasant, um, of course, it was a rural society, didn't speak French. They spoke whatever languages they spoke in their regions. And it was an act, as you say, an act of state by Paris to uh, ensure uniformity and unicity and the nation state insisting in all schools that French was taught. And so everyone speaks French now because they were forced to, not because it was the native language of the Gauls or the Franks or what became France. And uh, it's quite a shock to hear that. But actually, French is not the native language of France, except today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Zemmour <laughs> and, you know, those like him, they're creating a fictional image of French <laughs> history. Uh, and Zemmour actually goes further and he says, and this is a direct quote, um, I've translated it from the French. He says, it's the Catholic Church that unifies the country. It's the Christian religion. Now, this is extraordinarily significant, um, as you've noted, Paul, because it exemplifies the contradictions in the rhetoric of the French right. On the one hand, Zemmour is talking about 1,000 years of Christian history in France. And on the other, he's targeting Islam 
using modern Republican secular values, the same values that subjugated Catholicism. So the Christianity, the Christian civilization he claims to defend has been subordinated in France and he wants to subordinate Islam in the same way. So I think there's a really interesting struggle here. It's an inability to both revere French civilization going back to the medieval era while at the same time supporting the legacy of the French revolution which was about, uh, you know, destroying that old civilization. Um, and this is the, it, it's the Republican revolutionary standpoint that Zemmour defends. So there's a shallowness to the kind of valorization of a Christian heritage that Le Pen and Zemmour and others like them engage in. Wow, that's a, a fantastic um, analysis. And I suppose uh, just reflecting more philosophically, States, like individuals, are complex entities and contain contradictions and inconsistencies. And this seems to be part of the human condition, not to excuse it, but it is it's easy for us to see the contradictions in the other. Uh, we have internally contradictions in ourselves in many ways. But you're right, this valorization of a past that has been rejected since 1789 is, is paradoxical. And, and uh, Islam is just the latest casualty of, of that. And it's a very sad uh, situation. I mean, I, I'm personally grieved that the rest of Europe, um, Western Europe, uh, the European Union anyway, uh, which constantly lectures uh, its citizens and the rest of the world on values of human rights, respect, freedom, liberty, conscience. When it comes to France, uh, and indeed everywhere in Europe, actually, it doesn't apply those consistently at all. And the, the double standards and the inconsistency and the hypocrisy, shall we say, uh, is evident uh, very clearly. And uh, that, that grieves me because, um, you know, we want to be at home in Europe. We are Europeans, obviously. Uh, and, and yet we're, we're constantly being uh, ripped apart by these, uh, these dynamics, which don't allow us peace in our own countries, um, if I can put it that way. Mm. And yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good point. And, you know, um, Figures like Eric Zemmour and Marine Le Pen, they like to talk about Christianity to evoke the idea of a clash of civilizations with Islam. But history doesn't necessarily support that. So there were, for example, the Crusades, which on the face of it represented conflict between Christianity and Islam. But in that history, there was also conviviality, intermingling, even displays of toleration, such as uh, with King Baldwin and Sultan Salahuddin, who, when he retook Jerusalem for the Muslims, he uh, issued a, a sort of general amnesty and, and was um, actually admired in Europe because of that. So there is no um, clash of civilizations necessarily. Now, of course, the French defeated a Muslim army on French soil in the 8th century AD, and that turned back the Muslim incursion into Europe. So that right. event is important to the French consciousness, this defence against Muslim invaders. But on the other hand, in the 16th century, more recently, the French allied with the Ottomans under Sultan Suleiman. So the notion of an inevitable clash of civilizations between uh, Christendom and Islam is ridiculous. The problem for French Muslims is they're being persecuted not by a Christian power, but by a militantly secular Republican one, which doesn't care about this uh, old historical record to do with Christianity and which disregards the importance of religion and religious liberty. And therein, I think, lies the challenge for everyone. Hmm. 
a fitting conclusion. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Imran, for your thoughts, observations, your knowledge and your time as well. The election, as we know, uh, is happening um, in April, April the 10th. And um, God willing, uh, you'll be most welcome to come back and give us your autopsy on the, that's the right word, um, your views on, on what's happened. And of course, there may be a second election after that if there's no conclusive result in the first. And you, you anticipate- I think that, w- that, that will be likely. In fact, it's very yeah. unlikely that any candidate will win an outright majority on the 10th of April. Okay, but nevertheless, it will be interesting to see the results, particularly the the strength of votes for Eric Zemmour and Le Pen, obviously for Macron and the left, and just to see how it really plays out. Because a couple of weeks to go, anything can happen. There could be. We've had, you know, the, uh, the the terrible conflict in Ukraine. That was well to me anyway, unexpected. I didn't expect there to be a war since you and I last spoke. So um, <laughs> who knows what can happen between now and the tenth of April? But gobbling, not another war, but. Um, but thank you so much indeed uh, for your time. And um, and uh, you're very welcome back, as I say, to uh, give us your further thoughts when we have the results come in, the first round. Yes, God willing, I'd be uh, delighted to come back, inshallah. And thank you very much for having me on today. That's very kind. Thank you. Till next time.